0: Welcome to the Property Developers and Investors podcast, where we explore the detail of what it really takes to achieve great success in the business of property developments and investments. Now, let's get into this week's episode. And a very warm welcome to the Property Developers and Investors podcast. It's Nigel Green here from the Accra Academy, and I'm super delighted today to to have a guest with me, Kathy uh, Mocky. How are you doing, Kathy?
1: I'm good, thanks, Nigel. Nice to see you.
0: Yeah, you too, you too. And, you know, we've known each other for a couple of years now. Um, you know, you've, you've been part of the ECRA Academy community for for that period, and it's mm-hmm. been wonderful to work with you, and, and I'm sure you're going to tell us about some incredible case studies that you've uh, you've developed over that period. But um, I think it's probably 20-odd years as an architect and designer, isn't it?
2: Almost 30
0: Oh, <laughs> okay. Look, I won't say any more. I yes. mean, would you? Would you, mind, <laughs> would you mind? Would you mind? Would you mind introducing yourself and maybe just give the the listeners a bit of your background?
1: Yes, um, I'm um, uh, a, as Nigel says, I'm a chartered architect, um, practicing still. Um, I've um, had a long and really interesting career, um, working mainly on, uh, largely on hotel projects through my, the the course of my career. So I've been fortunate um, to be able to travel to all parts of the world. I've lived in Asia, I've lived in the Middle East, I've worked on some quite iconic projects, um, everything from massive resorts to restaurants and things like that. Um, And also, in the process, having met lots of people all over the place, so lots of really interesting um, places and people, and it, you know, it just uh, I've been very, very fortunate really in my career. I think I've um, I've probably had a, a way more interesting career than a lot of other architects, perhaps. So Indeed. very fortunate in that regard.
0: Absolutely, and see, seen a lot of things in different sectors as well. And as you yeah, say, all around the world, which has just been incredible. So, uh,
1: yeah, I've worked yeah. across the sectors. I mean, the, the majority is hotels, but also yeah. a lot of residential, multi-unit residential, and commercial, and yeah. You know,
0: so, yeah, very good. Very good. What What made you choose property as as your vehicle to wealth and success?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I love property. I mean, it's in my blood. Being an architect is part of what defines who I am. Um, Working in the hotel sector, it's really kind of focused on end user experience. And um, I really like the idea of being in control myself of creating properties that people love to live in. And um, so it seemed like a natural choice. And also, um, I I know that if you take care and you, you you think about what you're doing and you think about the end user, that the end user will appreciate it and they'll look after the property and they will um, and you and you'll get good returns. Um, you'll get longevity of tenureship and all of that sort of thing. So um, I really like the idea of creating places for people and. On top of that, property, you know, obviously, um, uh, semi-passive income, because it's not completely passive. It's quite, quite a busy thing to be involved in. But um, we know uh, capital values will always go up. So there's long-term investment and there's short-term income that come out of it. So it just seemed like a natural choice. Um, originally, we planned to do sort of serviced accommodation because that was seemed to be a natural thing, and I like the idea of the hospitality side of it. But um, um, and which is how we kind of focused on well, how I focused on on, on really getting into the property sector so as a project we were looking at, which didn't come off. But as a result of that, we sort of got deeper and deeper. And you know, it's like a web; you start looking at one bit, and then another bit comes in. So it just seemed like a, a logical choice, yeah, really. Absolutely.
0: Very good, very good. Maybe, maybe tell us about some of the key milestones and achievements in the property journey thus far.
1: So we 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 sort of became accidental landlords when we moved to Asia in 2013. Um, uh, we rented out our house, which we've still got, um, and and then we bought a, a couple of uh, well a, a single single let property as well, um, and then came back to the UK. Um, and we haven't got a lot of property. So we've got that and we sold the single let, and we um, purchased property up here. So also part of our property journey is actually buying houses for ourselves because we buy recs, one of which is this property I'm sitting in now, which is a great two listed building and we do them up. Um, so we've always lived in wrecks for about five years, and then we do them up. So that's that's also been part of it. Um, so we did a, our first HMO in Macclesfield, where we where we ended up after coming back from Asia, um, in completed just before lockdown in 2020, and it's been full ever since. It's only a four bed. Um, we're really pleased with that. Really paid a lot of attention to, to details, to space, to layout, to finishes, and um, one of our tenants has actually been there since. The beginning of 2020 um and the rest of them are, are you know really long tenancies so that's great and they just look after it which is brilliant but our most exciting project is the one we've just completed which is a six bed co-living house all on suite um, in macclesfield as well um built as a pub in the 1880s and we did a full retrofit on it and we managed to achieve an A EPC on it. We think it is the only HMO co-living house in the UK with an A rated EPC. It wasn't an easy journey but we got there and we're really really proud of it for various various reasons because we've used it as a learning tool
0: and the community is just really engaged with that that case study as well, hasn't haven't they? Over the time, and I think you yeah. showed a few people around over the over the yeah. Period.
1: We we had open days, so we had at least um, like over a hundred people on the sort of formal open days, and then we had various other people's people popping in, and we took them through. We developed um, a number of diagrams to explain what we were doing, um, and I've taken it around the country uh, at. To talking to landlords and developers and SaaS investors and all sorts of people and also local sustainability groups as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, so a lot of homeowners have been to have a look. Um. And it was really because we it, it just, it was one of those projects that we we had a lot of challenges mm. along the way. And it was like, oh, my God, is this going to happen? Mm. And then we would find a silver lining. Mm. You know, and it was like, well, if we'd we'd kind of pushed that thing that was delaying us, we might not have been here. So it was kind of everything kind of fell into place. And, yes, it has cost us a bit more and, and yes, it has taken more time. But um, at the end of the day, I don't think we could have done a better project.
0: Mm. It's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And, you know, EPC rating A, that is not to be underestimated, is it?
1: No. You you
0: say the, the percentage of those... Amazing properties in the UK is absolutely so small, it's it's wrong actually.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 0.1%. I mean, there's only 35% of existing properties in the UK, the entire UK, that are are an EPC of A to C. Wow. And only 0.1% are actually a C. Gosh. Um, So
2: so if there
0: was a list of measures that you put into that property. You know, air source heat pumps and the like. You know, could you could you list them for us?
1: Yeah. So the most important thing is fabric first. Don't even think about. It. So we we split it into two two kind of approaches. One is conservation, and the other is generation. And without conservation, you shouldn't even look at generation because, um, well, I mean, you should you should look at it, but not not as the first thing. So you you shouldn't. So the first thing is to reduce your energy demand um by by looking at your fabric. And what we try to do with these site visits, uh, particularly with homeowners, because so many people would come to us and say, oh I want to put a heat pump in, the government's going to give me a grant, um, should I rip out my boiler and do it? And we'd go, well, have you got a well-insulated building and what are your heat? what's your heat loss? And they'd go, no, we've a really, really drafty old building. And um, so, well, I mean, the problem is that you, you hear about the bad rep of heat pumps. Heat pumps are brilliant, they're fantastic, but you hear about the bad rep and that's because people are being sold them and they're being put into buildings that are not fit for heat pumps, yeah. they're, they're, they're losing so much energy, the heat pumps are overworking, they've got maintenance issues, they, they're drawing a lot of power
2: mm-hmm.
1: as well because they're electric and gas is still about a quarter of the cost of uh, electricity, although heat pumps do have a, a efficiency, a coefficient of performance, which means they're, they're very efficient in terms of the amount of energy they draw and the amount of energy they produce. So the first thing I would say is look at your fabric. Um, So we uh, fully insulated our building and we made it airtight. You cannot insulate and and have great airtightness in a building without having ventilation. So what we did, and this to me is our magic wand, is we put in ventilation with heat recovery so that means that all the energy within the building, and this isn't the air because the stale air gets expelled, but the energy within the building is uh, retained within the building, because the, the the warm air is extracted through the bathrooms, and we've got six bathrooms, so it's loads. It then goes through a heat exchanger, which draws out that heat, expels the stale air, brings fresh air in. The fresh air is all filtered and you know cleaned and everything as it comes in. It gets added. The, the 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 recovered heat gets added to that fresh air and it goes back into the building and in, fit, in fact since this recent cold spell um, we've not turned on our heating at all so that building is just running at a standard average internal temperature of twenty degrees just with heat recovery which is incredible yes. so so if you think about it so the people are powering mm-hmm. the building. Mm. You know, well, powering the heating of the building, the yeah. heat pump is mainly doing the hot water at the moment, and because it's got a coefficient of performance of um, between three and a half and four, it means that for every one kilowatt that we draw off the grid, we're producing three and a half to four kilowatts of energy to that. So th- I cannot stress this enough. The most important thing is to look at your fabric, and if you can't, I mean, we were a we took we went back to bricks, so we we're able to. To do a lot. Um, but um, if you can't do a lot and you've got restrictions with floor plates and stuff like that, then um, roofs and floors, windows, doors, um, and draft proofing. I mean, we we um we did a scenario where we compared if you did. If, we, if you took our building and you did a standard retrofit on it to building regs, we worked out that our annual energy usage would be um, 153 kilowatt hours per meter squared per annum. Now, don't worry about that figure, but if we just took that same amount of uh, insulation and we improved the air tightness, we reduced our heating demand by 37%. And this is on a very detailed calculator. Um, if you then improve the insulation and all of that, you're down to you know half. Improving, looking at um, so we looked at things like where internal walls meet external walls, where floors meet walls, and and try and um, uh, create breaks, thermal breaks uh, through that. But then with our um, MVHR unit, mechanical ventilation with heat recovery, we were able to reduce our heating demand by over eighty percent. So, if you think then you've reduced your heating demand by that, and if we were still using a gas boiler or an electric boiler, mm-hmm. we're only using twenty percent of what we would do if we'd done it to building works. So, um, but then we we plug in our heat pump and our solar panels and and generate twenty percent of the energy that we would normally need to use, which means that they're being incredibly efficient. So, um, I mean, it's it's just. Simple common sense, really. Reduce your demand yeah. and then look at how you generate, how you meet that demand yeah. with um, renewables or not. Because the whole thing that we tried to reiterate is that make you, if the least you can do is make your home future-proof. Yeah. So if you can't afford to put a heat pump in now, you know, put in a keep your boiler, or put in a hydrogen ready boiler, or, um, or you know, or, or make it so that you can put a heat pump in later. So that that's, that's what we tried to show people.
0: Yeah, very very good. And and I think you're you've got your solar panels on the roof, but I think you just yeah. wait for your batteries to come in, aren't you?
1: Yeah, the solar. Unfortunately, the batteries are on a. They've been on order for nine months. Oh gosh! I'm hoping to get them next week. Mm-hmm um the other thing with the solar panels is we've got a power diverter i don't know if you've got one of those but um it's a little thing doesn't cost very much and it means that um in the summer when you've got a lot of energy coming in you um instead of sending it back to the grid because you don't need it as much um it you can tell it where to go so basically it can heat hot water which is probably the most the next most demanding you know thing Um, we've got, um, we've got another little sneaky little thing in there, which was really interesting. I didn't even know we had it until afterwards, but, um, we teamed up with, um, the builder who's actually a renewables expert, um, designer, he teaches people how to install it. So we were able to do all of this at a, where I, 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 you know, was able to buy things at cost and, and, and pay standard labor rates and things like that. So he used it to experiment on a few things. Okay. And we've got this smart little thing, which is basically like a hot water ring main, which is on a timer, which is a val- on a valve, which is on a timer, which yeah. I can set on my phone. So what I do is I set it so that there's hot water circulated on each floor yeah. in the morning and in the evening mm-hmm. so that when people turn on their showers, they've got immediate hot water. So uh, you reduce your water usage because I don't have to wait because it's quite a big building. It's 210 square metres, and we've got six bedrooms. Yeah. So it reduces that um, and actually reduces energy usage. So it's it's like little things, which are are
0: quite smart. You're right, though, aren't you? I mean, just you turn on the shower normally and it starts cold and then eventually it builds up to that temperature and then in you go. But that's that's wasted water, isn't it, which is just amazing. Yeah. yeah. that's that's just incredible really is and you know the, in terms of the um you you were, you were talking about you know if you can't quite afford it now you know it's kind of future proof your your properties and i was talking to somebody only the other day that couldn't quite go the whole hog for having the full solar and battery mm-hmm. solution and um and they took a bit of advice which was you know certainly stuck with me and they've just put the batteries in and you right. can, why have they just put the batteries in? I mean, they put all the infrastructure in, ready for the solars and, and what yeah. have you. But they've just put the batteries in because they're on a dual tariff. So, okay. so they get, you know, much cheaper electricity um, during the night and obviously yeah. very expensive electricity in the day. So so what they do, they, they charge up the batteries overnight and then they discharge it back into the into the property in the day. So, all
2: right, okay.
0: you know, just okay. little things like that. And that's kind of getting yeah. ready. So it's it's yeah. not quite there. But it's getting ready, as you say, for future proofing for the.
1: Yeah, and you can use your car, your electric car, as a battery storage as well. Incredible. Which is amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, the technologies are coming along. So even like with the ventilation, like I say, that to me is our magic wand. Yeah. Um, you can now get uh, room-specific heat recovery vent vents. So it's like a, a, a vent that sits in your wall, but it um. It extracts the air, covers the heat, and then it switches to supply okay. and it adds the heat back in. So, so you're, you're getting your ventilation in your building, but you're not losing your heat. So there's like little things that are happening and there's all sorts of other compact bits of equipment and stuff that are, are, are coming to the market that we're seeing, which is quite interesting working with um, our partner on this mm-hmm. um, because he's very interested in all
0: Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's a great point of reference as well, isn't it, for learning and seeing what he's doing on other projects and, you know, obviously utilising that from a knowledge base perspective. Yeah, so. yeah,
1: Good, really. yeah. So it's been a great learning curve. I mean, at the same time, I'm working on a large commercial, as an as an architect in my consultancy, yeah. I'm working on a large commercial building in Leeds, um, which is a 20,000 square foot new building and then a um a very large retrofit office building, and it's net zero carbon. And we've got net zero carbon consultants who are advising on it. But I learned so much more on this project than that one, which enabled me to practice better as an architect. Because I think if you understand the constraints, you can be much more creative and free in how you implement those sort of things into your schemes. Yes, you know, yeah. once you understand the principles, yeah. it gives you a great basis to make decisions.
0: Yeah, very much, so. um, yeah. It's, it's kind of morphing the two elements together: the architecture and the the energy performance, and just just thinking kind of holistically with those two elements in in mind, really to, yeah. to design to a level that you know is constructible. Because I, 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 again, I've, I've been on projects um, very similar and. And what I saw was there was a uh, a requirement to build, and then it was almost a little bit of a feeling of the you know the net carbon zero contribution came secondary. Where it should should almost primary part of it. Yeah, absolutely, and and the thing morphed together in terms of the uh, the architecture. So,
1: I mean, what we said to people who came, and I always say to them in the talks is that what I hope we can do by telling you what we did is help you to think about making the right decisions early on because uh, a lot of the detailing and the build side of it is is just attention to detail. There might be some additional cost associated with materials and stuff, but it's attention to detail. And there's not a lot of extra cost involved in that. So you've got to have trades who are interested in and good at that sort of thing. Um, And that's the most important thing. I mean, anyone, anyone who's qualified can install a heat pump. Or solar panel, but it's that attention to detail on the fabric that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Kathy, from time to time, things don't go according to plan, do they? No. And could you, <laughs> maybe you could take us through, or or, or just just take us through, really, a, a, something that you've encountered unexpectedly, oh. and how you overcame the challenge. Not it, it so be, many. Oh. <laughs> Or maybe just pick one or two. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I, 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 well. One of the things this project. Um, so when we bought it at at auction, um, with a private investor and our own funds, um, we then looked at um, getting a bridging loan. And the valuer came out and he compared our building, it's 210 square meters. We paid 180,000 for it. Compared our building to sort of mid terrace properties. And we've got a double fronted building, front door, rooms on either side, plus an extension out one side, 210 square meters over two floors. So, and we got a valuation something like 75,000. So that scuppered the whole thing because we were hoping to sort of pay off. The purchase and then use our funds again to develop it um so then we went for development finance and because it was a very old property it only had apart from the brewery that built it in the 1880s in the mid 50s it was sold to a family who we bought it from um and hadn't been registered land registry and it was a series of pockets of land um and that took ages and every and every time we had a builder lined up and the um the the lender so the lender was a bank and they were very onerous and not flexible at all to the kind of building that we were looking at so we were having all sorts of so we had a, a RICS valuation which was about 350,000 and we've just had a valuation of 450 shows you so we had a RICS valuation we had a uh, um lenders QS, um and and all the the costs were coming out like really they were they were applying all these onerous costs. And I said we won't have those because I'm the architect so we're in have architects fees. Um th- these are our engineers fees, these are, you know, and all of this sort of thing. And we were just kind of completely losing control and I'm really concerned about what we would get out of development finance and thinking we'll have to find more funds somewhere else and in the meantime this was taking so long our original investors personal uh, position had changed so we wanted to pay her off anyway this is where i talk about silver lining so um, so although we paid lots of fees to have all of this done in this in this time i met our partner our renewable's partner and we started talking because i wa- i'd always wanted mvhr Wanted someone to install it, and then we got talking. And every time um, that everything would get be ready for the funding, and the builder we had lined up would sort of say, "Oh, I can't do it anymore. I'm not. I've taken on other jobs." So we were kind of without a builder, potentially without funding. Our SAS then came in. All of our funds came in. I'd met Richard. Um, other people got interested in our project. We developed a full. Um, low energy retrofit for the project Um, and um, so it kind of all came together I I remember this light bulb moment in the middle of the night when I woke up thinking what the hell are we doing we've we've got potential for loan back from ourselves I know that we can attract investors with this approach we've got a renewables guy who's also a builder Um, I'm Really fed up of all of these guys dictating what we can and cannot do. Because having been in the construction industry for so long, done a lot of project management in my time, I just felt we were losing control. And I thought, I'm going to take control of this project. So we said goodbye to the lenders. Thank you very much. All on good terms. We have another way of doing it. In the meantime, I'd spoken to our SAS administrator and everything. Um, We developed this whole. approach to the project. And um, as a result, we got three new investors who are all interested in um, in low energy retrofit. They're not doing it themselves, but they're very interested in it. And investors are interested in, um, I mean, as you know, investors invest in you and, and the project, but you, you know, so I think having that approach gives you a credential of integrity i'd like to think yeah. um, but also um, it's it's an interesting thing for people to uh, be involved with and they're very proud of it and they talk yeah. to other people about it so um and and we've got people actually still wanting to invest with us they, they keep on saying to me, when what's your next project? What's your next project? I want to invest with you. This, these are the kind of projects I want to invest in. So um, so that's the kind of silver lining that came out of it. It wasn't easy. There <laughs> were lots of sleepless nights so till we got to that point. But um, there was just, I mean, you I suppose that you just have to be patient. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Action, just, building property is not an easy no. sector by any means. I know that from being a consultant in it. I know that from being a developer, yeah. landlord. Um, but
0: um, fair play to you. You know your your tenacity and you you just kept going forward, didn't you? And that's a matter of fact. And you you've got to where you you are today by doing that. And we know, had just a to. Fantastic result. Well, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, you know, the,
1: the consequences <laughs> of not going forward were um, mm. were not great. Not so. an option. Not an option. No, once you're committed, you know, it's yeah, not absolutely. a lot. Also, you know what? When when the three investors came in, I felt such a weight of responsibility. Mm. You know, um, I felt confident we could deliver, yeah. um, and and their investment is a small portion of the overall valuation, but. Yeah. Um, if there is a, you know, once you start bringing in other investors' money, there's a hell of a lot of responsibility there to make sure. And it's their pensions as well. So, yeah, absolutely. You
0: know, um, that, that fantastic valuation you just received.
1: Yeah.
0: Completely outstripped even probably your expectations, actually, didn't it?
1: Yeah. I'm I'm really pleased. I mean, we haven't signed on the dotted line yet, so touch
0: cool.
1: Um Very good. But there's no comparables.
0: No. No, no, no. Working, that's, that's the thing. And it's it's very difficult, isn't it, when you're kind of putting almost, you know, the outturn of uh, an amazing project in the hands of somebody who can't follow due process and methodology that's defined by the RICS valuation code, call it what you will, but mm-hmm. um, where they need to get of comparables together and these sorts of things. It's, it's, you're almost... And, and I'm sure um, I'm sure you'll tell us, but I'm, I'm sure you met them with a the pack and you took them around and you know told them all the the little widgets that were in the property and how energy yeah. efficient it was to kind of help them to to understand really where the value was.
1: Yeah, but it's um it's quite you know esoteric. It's it's very difficult to well what does that mean? You know what what does that mean in terms of the value? I mean we can we can demonstrate it with numbers. Yep. At the end of the day, you have to do that, so we can demonstrate. We, we've calculated on our very detailed calculator, which is actually a passive house um, calculator. What we estimate our, our bills to be, and it's calculated at between eight hundred and fifty and twelve hundred pounds a year, compared to like six hundred pounds a month. Um, so we we know what our bills will be, and we've got we've done it to a very high quality. You know, everything has been done to a high quality. Um, we've thought about acoustics and, um, you know, obviously all the, all the, um, statutory requirements and everything. And I like a bit of decoration, decorating, so oh. all that, nice furniture and stuff like that. So we've got very high rents, yeah. um, but the demand is there for high rents. In fact, we had, um, so one of our, so a couple of our visitors, um, when we did our, our open day. So I did them on Eventbrite um, and there was a whole lot of people who, whose email address was a, um, a local HMO agency. They manage HMOs. And I thought, oh, they're just coming to check out the competition, right? Um, anyway, they came in um, and it turns out they've got like 200 rooms, which they own, and they want to um, upgrade them to be low energy. Um, but they were looking around and they said, there's nothing like this. I mean, we're lucky. We've got big rooms and things like that. They said there's nothing like this around. Um, I told them what we were asking for the rent. They said, oh, you could get more, much more than that. But then again, you have to be careful that you're not pricing out your target market either. I mean, we are uh, professionals, but um, you want to have the right – I mean, the thing with HMOs co living, you need to have the right mix of people. So you need to have more people to choose from, if you like, um, to live in the house to make sure that that's harmonious. Yeah. Um, we're very fortunate that we've got one group in the house uh-huh. and they're all um, doing the same thing. So they, they actually do live as a group, which is nice because they're using all the communal areas nicely, yeah. and things like
0: that. Really, really good, really good. And, you know, and, and as a landlord in a very topical time of energy costs and the, the rising energy costs as well, you know, hopefully in time you'll start to see, I suppose you, you'll need to allow it to do a full 12-month cycle to understand yeah. Exactly what the costs are, but I mean, compared yeah. with other yeah, we will. HMO landlords, it, it's probably absolutely the right place to be, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a no-brainer if you're an HMO landlord. Why would you build that risk into your income? Indeed. Absolutely. When when you and most HMOs, well, a lot a lot of them will be taken back to brick if they're converting from C3 to C4. Yeah. There's the opportunity.
0: So, yeah. yeah.
1: So why would you? Yeah, don't so I did this one talk to a group of SAS investors, the local Northwest SAS group. And I was in the bar before talking to chatting to people. Um, and I said, Yeah, I'm doing this talk. And they said, Oh, you know, we'd really like to do that, but we we can't afford it, you know, we, we can't put it in our appraisal. It won't work. And these are people who are doing quite a lot of development and stuff. And I um I said, Okay, well, let's speak after. And after my talk, they came to me and said, you know what, I think we can do this. I think that, you know, the the, the additional capex, and, and, in fact, it's got even better now with mm-hmm. energy prices going up, the, the initial capex will far outweigh the long-term benefits because even if you're developing to build, to sell, um, the um, you know, there's a premium Definitely, for people buying. Definitely. Um, you get better valuations you um you get more demand. So why absolutely. wouldn't you do it? And no, it's absolutely. actually as expensive as people think. I mean, yeah. we were we we're fortunate and then we did this kind of partnership, about 20% add on mm. to our construction cost. Mm. Um probably looking at about 25% on a normal project. If you took you know normal build, I mean it's difficult now because building costs have gone up. Yeah if you think about that in the whole scheme of things, it's um, it's not a lot.
0: No, no, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And did, did you manage to access any grants during the We're
1: going to get um, um, a grant for the heat pump, which is only £5,000. Yeah. Um, that's all. Yeah. I mean, there, there's lots of barriers to doing this. There's um, supply chain, trades, grants, funding, where I'm now working with a group where we're where I did a presentation uh, organised by the local town council the other day um, talking about this sort of thing. A lot of the councillors actually seem to be sitting on housing association boards as well. So um, it's definitely, I mean, you know, because the councils have signed up to the climate challenge targets for various dates and times and all of that around the country. Um, and they haven't been able to put their money where their mouth is because they probably haven't had the money um, and they haven't really been able to focus it. And the problem is it'll become a crisis and then they'll try be trying to do stuff when there's not enough time to do it. So you have to start now. And um, so it's got to start in the private sector. And but. But it's whole bor- its whole council-wide targets that they've set, which means it's on the onus of homeowners as well to try and achieve these.
0: Indeed, indeed. So what lessons have you learned along the way?
1: Biggest lesson of all is follow your gut. <laughs> Trust your gut. Yep. You know, um, don't take advice off social media. Take advice of people who know what they're talking about. I see so much misinformation. It's, um, you know, it's worrying. But um, there is information out there. Um, Make sure, yeah, I suppose that's the main thing, you know, just trust your gut and be strong, you know. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, it helps to be within communities that support you and that help you, and and that just make you feel like, okay, yeah. I'm not doing the wrong thing, you know. Um, yeah,
0: it's- that's great, and you know, and having just continued to put one foot in front of the other, you've you've produced, demonstrated, and you've got an asset there that's just it's just a showcase, isn't it? It's a showcase for everybody and.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very future-proofed. It'll continue to earn for a long time to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's just amazing. It really is really amazing. I mean, what are your plans for the future?
1: Well, I'd like to just, I'm just trying to catch up on my own work at the moment. <laughs> I spent so much time on that. Um, I would, um, so two things I'm trying to, I will want to focus on. One is buying uh, larger buildings. Um and multi-units i don't think we'll be doing any more sort of hmo co-living um i need to move up scale in the market because i'm more used to dealing with you know builders here at that level um and i I think you know i have more sort of expertise in that and um being more hands-off as well so being hands-on up front but you know, being able to employ proper professionals, project managers, and all of that. So being the client, as opposed to being the client, the decorator, the uh, QS, you know, everything, <laughs> um, the architect. Uh, so, yeah, multi-unit flats, probably. Um, doing it, definitely doing low energy retrofit, yeah. without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. And then the other thing is looking for pieces of land. Um, And I've got one actually on my table I need to do a proper appraisal on um, to get planning for um, sort of probably passive house level houses and whether we develop them out or we sell it, at least it's got that. Yeah, definitely. You know. Fantastic. um, Decent housing. I mean, you know, I really, really want to be... Doing my little bit to create well-designed, decent housing. Absolutely,
0: I, I, I truly believe. I mean, it's you know, with, with your with your drive and your passion that you've got, and and the the, the example that you've got there, you, you're actually at the spearhead, you know. Of and you've got so many people following you, Kathy, as well. You know, with intrigue and admiration, and you know, and, and don't underestimate that. It, it is a wonderful thing that you've you've done. Um. A couple, a couple of years ago, I, I was hesitant, but equally honored to be asked to, um, just to write a chapter in a book, um, which became actually, and that was a number one bestseller for a very short period of time, I have to say, but nonetheless, (laughs)
1: um,
0: it was there behind me somewhere. Oh, oh, there there you go. Yeah. It was called advice to younger self. And, um, and there was a, a number of people that contributed to the book, and it was a wonderful thing. And it really kind of pushed people outside of their, their, their comfort zone. And you know, all the all the proceeds went to charity, so that was absolutely wonderful. And thank you for buying the book. <laughs> um, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what what would it be?
1: Put money into your pension. Very wise. That's what I told my kids. Put money into your pension it doesn't matter how much it is, start young um, because it's free money from the government. It gives you a mindset of saving and you can't touch it. So, um, yeah, and, you know, when when you're young, you think about the moment. And I, you know, I had a lot of great moments, but um, didn't really get to a point where I could now at this point in my life. Sit back and um, reap the benefits of that. So, which is why we've gone into property. And, you know, that's it's not the least stressful thing to do, but um, it would have been nice to be in a position now where, I mean, it, it's getting better, obviously, with our properties and stuff. Yes. um yeah. But yeah, save for the future.
0: That's fantastic. Great piece of advice. Kathy, how could people get hold of you uh, or follow you uh, going forward?
1: Well, I'm on Instagram, Kathy. Mocky Arch Design. Um, I've got another Instagram account which is like I don't use anymore, so don't go to that one. So Kathy Mocky Arch Design. I'm I'm not as active as I should be. Um, or you can send me an email, Kathy, with a C at Kathy Mocky, C-A-T-H-Y-M-O-C-K-E dot com. Kathy at Thank you very
0: much. I think it's been wonderful. Thank you very much for just spending the time. I'm sure the listeners will be absolutely overwhelmed by the words and the wisdom that you've just put into this, this podcast. So thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you for asking me, Nigel. I've really enjoyed it.
0: No problem at all. And that's the Property Developers and Investors podcast, Nigel Green from the Echo Academy. Have a good day. Thank you. Yeah,
1: you too. Thanks, Nigel.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode And if you would like more inspiration, why not join our Facebook group, Property Developers and Investors, or visit our website, www.equacademy.co.uk.